Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. Uh, so, Steven, you have started college. Uh, I have also started college, but it's less of a big thing for me because it's my second year. <laughs> but you have started your first year of college. How was that going? Uh, well, actually, pretty good. I'm having a good time, you know? Uh, since we talked last, they started the first week of classes, which has been just great. And before classes started, it was awesome. It's still pretty awesome. It's just a mm-hmm. little bit less awesome now that I have to do things. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's about how it's going. And I'm so, yeah, there's a lot of really cool people here. Um, I am now a two minute walk from the nearest place to get coffee. Good. Which is much different from my old from my house that uh, where I used to live, where the town I grew up in. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? Yeah, where I where I grew up, or I just yeah. say the name. It's a it's a big difference from where I used to live, which was a half hour drive from the nearest co- place <laughs> to get coffee. So yeah, you could get coffee at the gas station. I wouldn't recommend it, no, but you could. I could, I suppose. I don't want to though. I I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned that. But during normal business hours, I don't even need to leave the building to get coffee. Ooh, nice. That's why it's a residence hall and not just a dormitory. Yeah, I am just in a dormitory. However, the dining hall is, it's a two-minute walk, so. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things they do when you get here, when you start to move in, is send you a, uh, you, get, you get an email from the IT department, which is called Do It, Do with capital I-T. Yep. Yep. So do it. Uh, you get an email from do it uh, saying, here is some helpful tips on how to keep yourself secure on the web. Okay. And is it uh, don't click phishing links because there are signs posted on every wall you can find at UWM that you <laughs> shouldn't click phishing links because it's a really big problem for some reason. Interesting. So yeah, I, w- I went through the policy and... Picked through it, decided what what was a good idea and what was not such a good idea. I usually trust what they say. It's not always the best thing, but usually it's better than nothing. Oh, definitely. Are there, like, actually objectively bad ideas? All right. Uh, well, there is one objectively bad idea that I found out of the whole policy, which is which could be worse, I suppose. And the the idea behind it is okay still. It's not like it. it's still better than nothing, I guess. Mm-hmm. but definitely not what you want to do. So let's go through it. The first thing that they, te- the first headline is keep security software current and automate software updates, which gets a thumbs up from me. Yeah. Because the first thing you should do if try- you're trying to protect yourself is update your software. After that, it's protect all devices that connect to the internet. And that gets a thumbs up too. Your light bulbs aren't safe either. Uh, yeah, they... It's a different issue, but yeah, you're right. Don't. I Uh, think they're more talking about like game consoles in that, maybe? Maybe. Either way, you should try to protect it as much as you can. They don't give a a whole lot of detail about how to do that, which is interesting. They just say, hey, remember uh, remember these things? People can use those too. 
This is the one that I was not super happy with. Uh, the headline is Plug and Scan, and the subheader is USBs and other external devices can be infected with viruses and malware. Use your security software to scan them when you plug them in. That gets a thumbs down, because what you yeah. should do is not plug it in. Yeah, that's... But if you're going to, that's better? Yeah, that like, was my logic, and that's why I said... Students on it's a college campus are going to take a free USB drive and do with it as they will, no matter what you tell them. Format it first. I mean, just... Uh, don't even bother scanning it. Just format it yeah. if you can. Don't open it. Don't do anything with it. If you're going to plug it in, don't touch anything on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of it's pretty good. Uh, they say use a password manager. Uh, they recommend recommend KeyPass and LastPass, both of which have a really good reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, make passwords long and strong. Um, good. They recommend HowSecureIsMyPassword.net to test your passwords. Yep. That's kind of good. Um, that one is that one I think is just for the entropy of the password. It's not for if it's just three guessable words stuck next to each other. Yeah. And again, it's better than nothing, but it's there's yeah. not a good way to test a password for how easy it is to crack just because get an Nvidia uh, Titan Yeah. Uh, you'd have to actually try to brute force it to test whether or not it's brute forceable. And use the like, just use what they would do, I suppose. There's the the file of, like, the dictionary file of passwords. Yep. I can't remember what the name of it is now. It's, yeah, it, it's a big long list of the top, whatever, thousand most commonly used passwords. Mm-hmm. And what the first thing they'll do is try all thousand of those or 10,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. And then go through and try all of those with a one instead of an I. Yeah. And that all happens very, very quickly. And if your password is even remotely close to one of those passwords, you should change it. We'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Uh, the last thing is uh, learn to spot phishing, e- uh, phishing scams. And All right, yeah. Uh, they say don't click on any links. Um, check the sender's email address. Um, uh, watch for a sense of urgency, call to action, or monetary incentive in the message. Uh, that just because scammers want you to do something right now, they don't want you to do it two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, configure. Oh, this is a good one actually. That not many people do. Uh, configure your email client to block automatic image downloads um, because okay, yeah, scammers can embed a virus or malware into the image, and when your computer downloads it, it will just run it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a pretty good email policy. Um, one thing I would include if I had to change it is don't act upon an email unless you're expecting that email. So if something says if something says reset your password, don't click it unless you are actually trying to reset your password. <laughs> yeah. If you're expecting, you can click on a link as long as you're expecting a link to be there. If grandma says, hey, look at this video on YouTube, which it could actually be YouTube, maybe. Um, don't click it. Try to find another way to look at that video that Grandma sent you without clicking that link, because who knows what, mm-hmm. where that link is actually taking you. And if, But if you are requesting a password reset or you asked Grandma to send you that video, <laughs> then you can probably click on the link because no one can anticipate you resetting your pass- needing to reset your password. 
and anticipate when you're going to click the forgot your password link and when they're going to send the email and all that stuff. Did I tell you I responded to a scammer like last week? No. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a guy on YouTube, James Veach, Veach, um, who has this whole TED video about responding to scammers. So I figured I'd try it out. Um, somebody approached me with a project for me to do, and I I was interested. I'm always down for a new project. Um, so <laughs> so I responded to let them know. And they let me know that they were in London awaiting cancer treatment, uh, had won the lottery, and wanted someone to take over their winnings and set up a Christian, like, uh, charity fund. <laughs> uh, so I responded one. to them. I responded to them with um, my information. I told them I was Anton Levi, gave mm. them the address of um, the uh scientology church here in milwaukee um <laughs> a 555 phone number uh if you didn't know 555 like if it's area code and then 555 and then four more digits it won't connect just because yeah that's what that's they use in movies set and up. tv shows um so uh, he had a 555 phone number and then he wanted to know my occupation so i told him i was a clinician at planned parenthood um and he responded and at that point i figured he wasn't reading anything it was just a script so but I Dang. had fun with it. Yeah. No, that that's very funny. All right. Yeah, that... Uh, that oh, uh, also they recommend if you do get a phishing email to report it to the FCC, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to do oh. that. Or some, one of the government organizations that you can report mm-hmm. scams to. And they'll try to do something about it, I think. Another thing that happened pretty early on in me being in Madison is I was told about a frat party here on campus that was charging money for paper invitations. And I'm not sure how common this practice is, but it gave me an idea. Wait, okay, so they were charging money for paper invitations. What do you mean by that? So they would have a dude stand out over probably on State Street area and say to uh, college-looking people, um, frat party tonight, five bucks or whatever it was for an invitation. And if you went there without an invitation, you would have to pay more to get in. Okay, so it's an advanced cover fee kind of thing. Which was interesting. I don't know. It was fairly advanced economics for for a frat. (laughs) Was it the economics frat? Probably not. (laughs) so what's your app do so the app will have two settings one for the party goer and one for the party hoster the host will be able to create a digital invitation and send it to whoever they like um and there'll be a free and a paid invitation the party goer once they get an invitation will have a qr code a date and a time and a location when they get to the party they simply show the qr code to the host and they can scan it and the host will scan it with their app and this will allow you to not have to have some dude on a corner because the second part of the app is a big old map and with little pins in it saying what's going on tonight or in the future. Mm-hmm. And you can click on the pin or you can tap on the pin and it'll say, this is the party, this is the theme, whatever details you put in there. Uh, this is the admission fee. 
you pay the admission fee through Apple Pay or whatever. Yeah. And you get the invitation. That way, you don't have to have a guy sitting out on a street corner looking for people to come because, and he can be, because you can just, you're advertising on the app. That Okay. And then does the app, is it like a dollar per month for every host account? That was, yeah, that seemed like something, that would be the price strategy. Either that or like a 10% of your admission or whatever. Because it it's effectively a listing cost. Yeah. I don't understand. I am not a part of the frat party scene. Well, neither am I. So but I, it just seems I don't more know. Convenient than having to print off invitations, which cost money on campus and cost money in general because mm-hmm. ink is expensive. And so you save that money. You don't have to have a dude sitting on the street corner. He could be preparing for the party with the rest of the frat. And you send a free invitation to your friends. You have paid invitations invitations to cover the costs of the party and i don't know if you want randos from an app sure i i I really don't know the how the party thing goes well even if you don't want random people showing up you can still send it as a paid invitation so you can say hey uh i know you i'm not that close friends with you you can pay to get in Mm mm-hmm and you don't have to list it on the map. You don't have to do that. It's just an option. And then the like social conscientiousness part of it is, after a year of running this, you look at the demographics of who was paid and who was not. Or skip that and just I mean, make statistics money are off interesting. I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I, none of, I was not uh, thinking about anonymity for sure. Uh, so... And then, yeah, get a little paid sponsor and show them the demographics of people using the app. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it it has potential. And, yeah, maybe a few integrations. Like, does Milwaukee have, like, a safe walk thing? Yeah, yeah it's so, exactly safe walk. Yeah, it's safe walk in Madison as well. So maybe they're, like, a safe walk call button. Mm-hmm. Which is just uh, if you're out somewhere around campus... And want to get back to campus and are scared by the community around campus, you can call SafeWalk and they will walk you back to campus or back to your house if it's within a certain range of campus. Yep. We also have Boss, which is like Uber, but free for students. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah it's, it's doable. Are you going to have a lot of time to, to do that as a <laughs> college student? Uh, so far... No, but maybe if I get better at, I, I will undoubtedly get better at managing my time here, but um, yeah, we'll see. And then you, I'm just thinking about this now, you wouldn't really want to have it also do crowdsourcing of locations. So somebody else can say like, hey, there's a lit party going on at North and Third and like mark a pin down because then the location is getting publicity and you're not getting any money from it oh but yeah. that's what i initially thought it would be was gotcha well yeah and that's why that's why a sponsor would be cool or a or a listing cost would be better than a mm-hmm. uh, price of admission percentage so that's not entirely a feasible idea that was brought to you in the first week of college not feasible at the time at least what do you mean the, the the app. You couldn't make that right now. No, I 
I would have to spend a lot of time on it. I also have an idea for something that I definitely could not actually implement uh, that came to me in the first week of college. All right. AI coffee. The coffee learns... I don't, I don't know. What does the coffee learn, Zach? <laughs> okay, so not not quite AI coffee, but that, that would be a good general name for it. Um, so I was touring Stone Creek Coffee in Milwaukee. Their facilities are just a couple mile, like a mile or two from campus. Okay. So we went there and got to see all their beans that they sourced from wherever, and they were talking about all the roasting process and taking them from the like initial thing to coffee that you drink in the store. And it's basically just a lot of math of how hot do you need to make this thing? How much do you need to shake it around? How long do you let it sit there? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot. It's a, it's a big equation, which sounds like a great place to just jam AI in because we are in the (laughs) age of putting AI everywhere we want it. Well, and everywhere we don't want it. If you, if it's just all math anyway, you could do that with, conventional computing can't you yeah but it's different for each um source of bean oh interesting so you would need to have something to to re recreate it gotcha um my my only issue with that idea is that to have an ai you need to train it right and yeah. how would you train something like that because i i have to assume that anyone making or roasting beans would have to like be on a there Starbucks could probably do that is what I'm saying but any hipster coffee shop probably would not be able to do that okay well so some solutions to this a all of your employees are robots so costs are already pretty low okay so you've got a wide margin to play with to get to like the average cup of coffee right now so if you sell the coffee for a little more than the usual cost with like the marketing trick of like, oh, look, it's made by an AI. Um, but <laughs> allow the opposite direction that people want you to take. <laughs> they want you want more human interaction these days. You don't want even less people touching the coffee. OK, but you allow the coffee drinker to like submit training data on an app for store credit, okay. making it so that the coffee was effectively sold at cost that's okay okay i like that um and and so we've got a bottle return deal going on in some of the milwaukee grocery stores where you can get a glass bottle of milk and then when you return the glass bottle and buy a new one it's a dollar fifty cheaper or whatever so each time it's like you're just buying a normal glass of milk right or a normal glass bottle of milk so this one would be effectively the same you pay the high price once and then you continue paying roughly at cost. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I can see how someone could feasibly make money on that. So coffee drinks in the modern day are more than just the coffee, right? They're more than just the coffee bean and some water. You add right, right. honey and milk and whatever people ask for. And I suppose you would also need to get an AI to source that kind of thing, right? Uh yeah I guess uh, are like you thinking have to of find replacing the right... baristas as well? Yeah okay that's what I'm saying. You take every employee and replace them with robots. Yep, that's what that's... people want. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the the things that I know I would want in my lattes would be almond milk, 
And there's an almond milk that I really like, actually. So if there were like a submission form, if I were giving feedback to this AI, I would tell it to check out the New Barn almond milk. Um, not a sponsor at all. I just really like their almond milk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> except oh, you remember a couple episodes ago when I was telling you about making this latte with the New Barn almond milk? Okay, yeah, I remember. Uh, and I just like went into Whole Foods and bought it off the shelf. Right. This is a story that I relayed. I wanted to do that again. I got some other almond milk. It was not as good in my latte. Okay. So I needed to go get the same almond milk. Um, I went to Whole Foods the Tuesday after Amazon officially bought them because I thought maybe the prices would have changed around or something. Uh, with My friend came along and I'm standing there where all of the almond milk is and the barista almond milk is gone. Oh, and so then I want it and I go through tag by tag to see if there's just a row for barista almond milk that's not there. Mm-hmm. And there's not even tag for it there. So my friend and I check out and go and we're about ready to leave. And I figure I'll just see what's up with the almond milk. So I ask uh, customer service. They have a little customer service desk at this Whole Foods. Okay. And I ask them, hey, what's up with the almond milk? And they said, oh, actually... That would be grocery. And then they radioed grocery. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't I just wanted to know what was up with it. This shouldn't be more than like a minute of. So they radioed grocery and grocery got back to them and said, actually, that's dairy. <laughs> it's not. But so then the the, da- the dairy guy from Whole Foods comes bouncing over. He's in a good mood. Uh, and I explain the situation to him. And he just looks at me like, what the hell? No way. Are you sure that you just bought it off the shelf? And I said, yeah. <laughs> he says, uh, okay, well, I guess let's let's try. Uh, and then he took me to, they have a little coffee shop within this Whole Foods. And he says, they that shouldn't have been stocked at all. <laughs> and then he asked the barista at the coffee shop, hey, do you have some of that barista almond milk from the new barn? And she says, yeah, but it's not for sale. <laughs> he says, okay, well, we've got this kid here who wants some. Could he just have like a little pint, just bring it out? And she's like, it's not going to be in the system. You can't buy it here. Yeah. We just, it's like made for Whole Foods to use in their Oh my cafe. gosh. And he was like, okay, well, let's just try it. He said he bought it a month ago or something. So she took it out and she rang it up and it rang up just fine. And my friend who I've been just dragging around is looking at me like, why did we just spend 10 extra minutes finding you this almond milk? <laughs> But so did you get it? You got your almond milk? I yeah, I got I got the almond milk, and I guess I know now that if I want it, I need to call grocery to call dairy, <laughs> and have them walk me over to the barista and get the barista almond milk from the barista. Hold on one second, Zach. I'm gonna do some googling. Okay, it's the New Barn Barista almond milk. It says on their website, I'm pretty sure, exclusively at Whole Foods cafes. Haha, Amazon. You can get it on Amazon? New Barn Barista Almond Milk, 28 ounces, currently unavailable, never mind. <laughs> Dang. And it's not even like a out-of-stock thing, it's unavailable. And they advertise better mouthfeel, and they deliver on that better mouthfeel. Hmm. Here it is at ShopRite in Delaware. I wonder if you can just form a, a relationship with the dairy guy, <laughs> like... <laughs> 
You yeah. just be like, okay, so every Tuesday at three o'clock, I'm going to come into Whole Foods, buy your almond milk, and leave. And he'll and he'll be like, okay, I'll have it ready for you. Because apparently that's a thing that Whole Foods does. Is, they will generally, yeah. if you ask them to stock a product, they'll stock it. Right. If it's stockable, maybe this one isn't stockable. I'm perplexed. All right. Well, you might just be, uh, you know, like when you're on the last drop of a tube of toothpaste, but you just keep stretching it out, you find yeah. more and more toothpaste. You're going to have to do that with the almond milk. I don't know if I can, Steven. I'll, I'll have to try, but. <laughs> or maybe slowly mix it in with, slowly start mixing it in with less good almond milk. It's going to degrade the mouthfeel, Steven. Yeah, but it's going to be better than just straight to bad. Or I can keep pestering the Whole Foods grocery guy. I w- I, if it works. <laughs> I guess. I think that's the fastest I've ever told that story. Every other time I've started telling it, everyone's interrupted me to ask at least five questions. So, <laughs> What kind of qu- Well, I mean, I know most of the background. Yeah. What kind of questions? Like, why are you drinking almond milk in the first place? Yeah. Why, why are you like this, Zach? Um, <laughs> One person just said "sacre bleu" when I like got halfway through the story. So <laughs> interesting. Would you tell that story to someone you just met? If they asked what I'd been up to recently, or if I had any harrowing grocery stories? <laughs> no, like you're meeting some you met someone and you're just hanging out and they tell you a, like a little story from their past and you want to reciprocate because you want to be involved in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a go-to story for that? Not really. I probably have a couple different go-tos based on what the initial story was. Okay. But yeah. I Obviously, couldn't yeah. tell you what they are. All right. Well, I have one. If someone asks me to tell them a story, I will tell them this one. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it. Stephen, please tell me a story. Okay. Uh, so just to preface, a few people were with me when this story was happening and they listened to the podcast. So if you are one of those people and you think to yourself, that didn't happen, just remember that I've been telling the story for like two years now and probably a lot of the the details got a little flipped flopped and I've also been embellishing a lot just to make it fun, more interesting. Memory changes as it's recalled. Yeah. So... If you are listening thinking, that didn't happen, just know that you're wrong and I'm right. Okay. <laughs> um, some small problems with that preface. <laughs> uh, let's go with objective reality is hard to pin down. Sorry for confusing this story. Here's an entertaining story that is yes. a mix of fact and fiction. <laughs> But entirely fact. All right, let's go. Mostly. Mostly entirely fact. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I am an advanced open water scuba diver, Zach, which means that I have a little uh, credit card sized piece of paper that, or cardstock really, with my picture on it that says that I can follow the rules of an advanced open water scuba diver, one of which is being able to go down 150 feet underwater awesome uh that's compared to the previous level which is 50 feet i'm pretty sure i'm not sure let let me check that quick this will be one of the facts 
So how many steps are there from entirely new to scuba diving and where you are now? There is... Oh, okay. There is a junior open water diver. Uh, that's for young people who are getting into scuba, scuba diving. That will allow you to... Um, it's a, It's not very deep because it's. I think it's under 12. Mm-hmm. So they don't want you to go down too deep. Once you are over 12, you can go down if, and you take a few more classes or whatever. Um, you can be a standard open water scuba diver, which is you're certified to go down to 60 feet underwater. And an advanced open water scuba diver can go down to 150 feet underwater. And past that, there is a lot of different certifications. So there's like cave diving, uh, super duper deep diving. I don't remember the names. Um, and then all sorts of, there's uh, wreck diving, all sorts of stuff like that. All right. And so there's more than I can reasonably list on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Uh, th- and there's also this place in uh, near Belize called the Great Blue Hole, which I will put a picture of in the, in the show notes because it's really, really cool. Basically, it was a, before there was an ocean there, uh, there, it was all limestone and it caved in. So it's about a couple thousand feet down and, and then water filled it in and now you can dive there. So I was diving. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that is a great hole. <laughs> it's really, really like it's, Here's a, yeah, there's a image I found that has like the surface and then everything below the surface, kind of a textbook drawing of the the big hole that's underneath it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes and you should take a look. Um, and I'm diving in the Great Blue Hole and we slowly go down, uh, me and my group go down 150 feet because that's what we're certified to do. And there's not a whole lot to look at. It's really cool. There's stalagmites and stalactites and... There are bull sharks kind of swimming by us, wondering if we're going to drop any food. Um, And we're just looking around at the fish, at the rock structures, and it's dark. And you look down, and there's nothing. It's just a void. And you. So, how far about is 150 meters into the full depth of this? 150 feet is. Feet, yeah. Almost nothing, because it's a few thousand feet down, I'm pretty sure. I'm. Okay. So yeah, it's not very deep at all, but there's nothing that lives down there because it's it's different from the depths of the ocean of the ocean in say the middle of the ocean, the Marianas Trench, because it's surrounded by shallows. So mm-hmm. an anglerfish isn't going to get down into that hole because there was no way yeah, it's, for it it's to isolated. get. Yeah, it's isolated. It's very deep in the middle of a bunch of shallows. So after a long time, will it become like Ocean Australia? <laughs> maybe anyway it's very deep uh lots of cool things and you look everything around you it's you can't see the other side of the hole from where you are because of um the visibility i guess so if you kept swimming straight across the hole it would take you quite a long time to get to get there and you might be familiar with something called the bends mm-hmm. which is a buildup of nitrogen in your blood and when you and it's all very compressed when you're underwater because there's a few atmospheres pushing down on you yeah and when if you go to the surface too quickly the nitrogen will expand in your brain 
and in your bloodstream and will cause some very bad things to happen, including uh, it's possible that you'll just die. But most of the time it's just like really bad cramps. Uh, yeah, cramps, headaches, uh, you'll probably throw up a lot. Um, and if you don't get oxygen very quickly, it will... If you don't flush out the nitrogen in your blood with oxygen, it could lead to some brain damage. Okay. And so, so yeah. you don't want it. So you don't. You definitely do not want the bends. And so yeah, you have to. So when you're swimming that deep, you have to go up at increments. So you go up 20 feet, wait a while. Go up another 20 feet, wait a while. And once you get to the final 20 feet, you just stop for a while. You stop for 10 minutes, say. Mm-hmm. To let it just clear out, to let it expand very slowly. And then you can go to the surface. And another thing that happens when you're 150 feet underwater is that you... A lot of people will have reduced cognitive function because of the nitrogen. It's still there. It's not like it... It's just not expanded. You Mm -hmm. just get less oxygen in your brain. Mm -hmm. So people will see colors differently. They won't be able to do math. Uh... Weird stuff like that happens occasionally, and especially if you're down there for a very long time. Yeah. So, here I am, 150 feet underwater, just looking around at the stalagmites, the sh- the sharks, the fish, and my regulator, which is the part that is in your mouth and regulates the amount of air that comes from your tank and into your mouth. It starts making this weird sound, like when I breathe in. Yeah, so I took a few more breaths like that, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And I'm a little nervous and hoping that it will just clear up, because it wasn't doing that before, so maybe it will stop doing that. Yeah. And it did stop doing that. (laughs) Good. But but it also stopped letting air out of my tank. Not good. Not good. All right. So I took my my last half breath was and then i say to myself i remember thinking okay don't panic which we all know works super duper well (laughs) and it kind of did for like a second i checked my air gauge i checked how much air i had in my tank i still had at least three quarters of a tank of air so we're good there uh so Mm -hmm. that's not the problem that um and Okay, what do I do? What do I do? This is definitely a problem with the regulator itself. Um, okay, uh, now we can start to panic, right? Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Um, and I, in panic mode, start to get red in the face. Like, you're getting nervous. You're getting, uh, your face is getting hot with mm-hmm. that, because there's lots of blood in your face now. And what happens when your face is super hot when you're wearing a diving mask? It fogs up. Oh, God. So, here I am, 150 feet underwater. Uh, I can't swim up. I obviously can't swim down. Uh, and now I can't see and can't breathe. Great. Yeah. Um, so, more panicking happens. Um, a lot of just looking around, looking for shapes, something that can give me a general sense of where I am even. I don't know. I haven't been breathing, so... I can't regulate how much I'm sinking and rising. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could be 
another 20 feet down than 150 feet. Oh, God. I don't even, I couldn't even tell because I can't see. I couldn't see my depth gauge, anything like that. So I'm looking around, just kind of swimming uh, around uh, and just taking note and thinking, oh, okay, this is when I die. I said that to myself a few times. This is when I die. And I, that's scary. That's a scary thought. Yeah. And yeah, um, I see a shape, something vaguely human shaped. And I look at it and I start making the I'm out of air signal, which is just slashing across your throat. Yeah. And I'm making this motion at the shape, hoping it's not the shark, because they're about the same size, really. Um, oh, God. And the thing, the shape starts getting bigger. So I think it's coming at me. And when it gets really close, I feel something rip my regulator out of my mouth and another one get put in. I the bull clear- shark just had a spare regulator? I know. It was crazy. <laughs> um, so I start to breathe again. And after, and you have to understand right at this point, I'm crying. I'm freaking out to the max. And I'm just trying to not break down while I'm, while I'm underwater. Out, yeah. of re- out of straight relief. And uh, yeah. And I see, I clear my mask, see it was my uh, my dive partner, and she had put her backup regulator into my mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that I had a backup regulator. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, that was, I, yeah, so if I was, if there was no one around, I, it's entirely possible that I could have died, um, knowing full well that i had a da- back backup regulator it would sprite yellow on my side it <laughs> i probably touched it on my way to grab my depth gauge yeah <laughs> so yeah i for the rest of the dive i used that one um it was uh quite the experience yeah are you like unless you're scuba level 9000 are you allowed to dive on your own you really shouldn't ever okay because crap happens yeah also, on the note of uh, facts from the past being embellished in different ways, um, I definitely heard that story. Um, your glasses did not fog up, and you pretty much only thought you were going to die once. And then you were like, <laughs> hey, look, there's the other person who I was diving with. I'm going to go grab their backup regulator. I'm cutting all this out. Uh, didn't happen. It happened exactly like I said. <laughs> So I that that one is definitely a lot more tense, but also puts you in a different. It was it's a more helpless position the way that you're telling it now. Yes, uh, definitely. Well, also uh, hold on a second, Zach. Sarge, that sorry that college is happening. Not too bad. You too. Sorry, someone was showing off for a female. Ah, uh, speaking of so showing off for a female, I'm pretty sure when you told that story with you a little more in the reins, your girlfriend at the time was in the room, so that might. Uh, not have something to do with it. No, I, I, I much prefer this story just because it highlights, um, because I, I, I usually tell it um, when I, after like a little while of knowing someone. So they get to know me a little bit and they know that I am very rarely uh, in a helpless kind of, yeah, I'm not yeah. like, I'm not the type to just panic, you know. So it, it kind of highlights the dangers of scuba diving because of the way <laughs> yeah. it affects with the way you think, mm-hmm. and and that danger is definitely an impressive part of the story. 
Yeah. That I and in fact I went on two more dives after that that day after that dive. So mm-hmm. obviously I'm quite brave. You asked about stories that I share, um, and that is that that story you just shared is actually one of them that I share. <laughs> just because it's a it's a good story. It is. I can't think. I still can't think of any about me that I share okay. too often. So yeah, we tell these stories to people we meet, and these people uh, we tend to socialize with them again because we tell such great stories. Of course. Oh, yeah. And sometimes those stories get long, and especially if there's a lot of them, we want to keep hearing them, and that can sometimes cut into your sleep. Definitely. Um, so this is this is in our little agenda of stuff to talk about because at the very beginning of the summer, I thought, Stephen's going to have a hard time balancing sleep and socializing at college. <laughs> and I wanted to know how that was going, so it's been in my to-do list. Uh, to check in at the beginning of September and see how this whole sleep thing is going for you. So how's the whole sleep thing going for you, Stephen? Uh, it could be a lot worse, Zach. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm making a lot of good friends here at Madison, and that's, like, really awesome. I just love talking to these people. Uh, but should I always be talking to them? Probably not. And <laughs> I have so much to do this weekend it's probably not even that much, but it feels like a ton because I'm straight out of summer vacation. And also yeah. I've been having so much fun between living in my dorm to classes starting that time period. It's been really nice not having to do anything and just doing the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. So far, out of the three days of classes, I have stayed up for a very long time when I could be doing homework. So one out of three, I mean... That's not a very good statistic because it's only been three days and one of them has been a Friday. And, you know, it's a Friday and I don't have to get up tomorrow or today, I guess. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable staying up till 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. Talking to people. And is that always the best idea? No, but this time I think it was. So we're going to hold judgment. You can ask me next podcast again. But for now, I'm going to say I'm doing okay on the sleep front. All right. That's good. I definitely had it harder, uh, the the whole sleep versus socializing thing at the beginning of last year myself. Now I know the people who are on my floor and we're all honor students who took too many courses and (laughs) all need know that we need to get some sleep and do some homework. And uh, yeah, knowing that you need sleep and actually doing it are different, Zach. You can't. It's not fair. Correct. Uh, yeah, I very much agree. Um, me from like 3 a.m. on a Wednesday last year very much agrees. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, there, there is also something to if you're sitting around and someone says, oh, man, I really ought to go to sleep. Everyone else at this point will go, yeah, you're right. I probably should also go to sleep. Yeah, I suppose. But something to remind you to say, oh, man, I really should go to sleep. And then maybe you talk for another hour instead of another three hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are to, like, actually put it into your calendar. Um, so when people say, hey, Steven, it's, I've, I'm doing a thing at 1030 p.m. Do you want to come do that? It's only going to take three hours. You can at least consider your sleep schedule when you're signing up for that. I guess. I mean... I'm already 
pretty good at budgeting my sleep time just because I'm a person who works best at night. I don't mm-hmm. like to do a bunch of work in the morning because it is not as good as when I do it at night. When's your first class? My first class is at 10 o'clock. All right. And I, I set it up that way because... Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I like... I have been... I... I stay up frequently enough to know what I am able to do and how how that how I'm going to feel tomorrow if I go to bed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting that knowledge of that. You said that your roommate didn't have quite the same knowledge and he was a little more knocked out by it. Definitely. And that's something that I developed over the last year for sure. Uh, and I didn't notice myself getting better at it, but other people told me, hey, you're a lot less loopy when it's 4 a.m. and you still have a paper due <laughs> yeah uh, and, and also just socialize that's so long as your grades are good put more effort into socializing than like extra credit that's my <laughs> opinion yeah have some fun in college you know one of the things that that socializing entails is uh, especially late at night, is some wacky ideas. All right. Uh, so here's how the story goes. So me and a group of friends were sitting in the den, our little common area, talking about life, the heat death of the universe. Uh, not really, but it's not really important what we were talking about. And, yes, you do. Yeah. And my friend was shifting in his chair a lot. Uh, he's in, like, an armchair, and it looks he just looks really uncomfortable in every position he tries. And he's like a lengthy dude, and watching him squirm about is quite entertaining, actually. But mm-hmm. um, finally, in the middle of a conversation, he goes and pushes another armchair so that it faces the first one. Mm-hmm. So the arms of the chairs are touching and forming a trough. Yep. Okay. I've... So my friend hops, literally hops, into the middle of the trough, leans back, and rejoins the conversation, which... In the meantime, has come to a complete halt watching him do this. (laughs) And we're all looking at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, what? And we look at him again like, what are you doing? And he proceeds (laughs) to say, I made a suede bathtub. (laughs) All right. And that's not the best part, though. Okay. Because then we all Uh, wanted it. Okay. Can I ask now, why not? So right now there's two chairs pushed together. Yep. His knees are over one armrest and his back is on another armrest. No. No. He's sitting in, in the chair like you normally would, except his feet are on, an, on another chair. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, that the totally chairs, makes sense. Yeah. Where your feet go, where your feet would go in a normal armchair are touching for both the chairs. Because my preferred armchair sitting method is sitting at 90 degrees. Yeah. And that's what we were doing. But then we saw my friend's suede bathtub, and we were like, we all need suede bathtubs, because it was legitimately very comfortable. Yeah. And that's not even the best part, though, because we didn't have enough armchairs for everyone to have a suede bathtub. (laughs) So my friend, the genius he is, pushes two couches together. Oh, my God. And says, here, now we have a suede hot tub. And the, the suede hot tub can fit five people comfortably, which is one less than two people on the couch on their own. 
or uh, w- which is one less than the two couches on their own, but yeah. way more comfortable this way. Mm-hmm. So we're all and yeah, you can stretch your legs out, and yeah, it's. Uh, so then it's a lot more than the couches on their own because the couches can't fit any comfortably. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, one of the. Th- and then we all tried to pile into the suede hot tub, and it didn't really work. So we didn't try to do that again. All right. So pro tips from college: push if you have armchairs in your common area, push them together, make a bathtub. It's comfortable. All right. Can I have a brief aside? Yes. About Stephen's spelling abilities. No, no, you cannot. (laughs) So uh, we've got uh, an agenda document that just keeps track of what, you know, what we're going to talk about. And uh, right here, we've got S-W-E-D-E bathtub, which is is somebody shooting a ray gun. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. It it sounded like a toy. um, It did sound like that. Buzz Lightyear gun. Anyway. Uh, that's a Swede bathtub. Fun fact about a Swede bathtub, they are um, on their way to becoming illegal. Oh, no. <laughs> what is it? So, uh, it's I'm just assuming a bathtub in Sweden, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So, in November of 2015, uh, Sweden's King Carl stated that bathtubs should be banned <laughs> because they are a waste of energy, time, and water. Okay, well, that could have been a lot worse. I was hoping it yeah. wasn't like a slur or anything. No. Okay. It's just a fun fun fact about Swede bathtubs. Okay. To accompany your suede bathtubs. One thing that happened while we were in the den trying to get the suede hot tub to work uh, is some guys came in. And it's Friday night, okay? Friday night at Madison. You can probably figure out that there's going to be a lot of people who are intoxicated, probably illegally. I'm not one of those people. I don't really like that kind of thing. But a lot of people do, and that's cool for them. These guys came in, and they're, they look a little bit they look a little bit out of it, let's say. Yeah. And they, they come into the den, and that's the there's a big TV on the wall. And they said, are you guys using that? Because we weren't. We were just sitting around talking. Mm-hmm. And we said no. And he says, great, we're going to put up Free Willy on there. And we're like, okay, why? And they're like, because our friend, because our friend Will, uh, he he's in the drunk tank, and we want to get him out. Okay. So they're gonna watch Free Willy because they want to free Willy. I understand. <laughs> I guess <laughs> this is. I, I don't know what the logic was, but I they were determined. I mean, it's better than a Twitter campaign to unsuspend someone. Yep. I don't know how it turned out. I I think Will, like most other people who were uh, detained for being publicly intoxicated, was released in the morning. I that I, I did not verify that, but that's what I assumed happened. Yeah. Um, were they people from your floor? Yep, they were from my floor. Okay. So, you know, they had every right to be in there and watch Free Willy, but... It was just a very strange thing that happened. Yeah. And then uh, we came in in the morning, and they were watching Free Willy when we left. They they went must have gone into 5 o'clock in the morning, but there were um, drawings on the whiteboard of whales. Not well-drawn whales either, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that happened. Okay. 
Uh, there's no segue here. I'm I'm not gonna have a segue because it's. Come on, you can go uh, whales to water to waterfalls. I bet uh, it's the one with the orca, right? Free Willy, and he has to like jump over the bridge. Maybe whatever. Uh, I bet I don't know that the whale had to be pretty agile to to do that. (laughs) Okay, I've got it. Uh, We're gonna go back one, and then I'm gonna segue from bathtub oh okay because because free willy swayed bathtub kind of yeah okay okay worked with each other so you were telling the story about um this team of people getting together to develop on this idea of the suede bathtub right yes i mean it technically was a team because it took a few people to move the couches yeah and it, it was this their very quick um feedback loop of the the initial event occurring and then um recognition uh deployment of that idea in in a larger (laughs) scheme and then continued development of the concept into the suede hot tub and beyond yeah you're correct zach that was what happened we thought about in terms like that too so uh if you really wanted to get a methodology to your common room uh insanities i might recommend the agile programming method Okay. Would you like to explain that a little bit more? Yeah. In not um, terms so of hot tubs? I kind of want to go with hot tubs now. Okay. It's, fine. Um, uh, for some context, this is one of my classes that I'm doing is all on software engineering um, and teamwork and different things that developers do to work in teams. Uh, one of those things is the Agile method, but that comes out of this big history. And so I'm going to do a very quick rundown of the history of programming methodologies. And Stephen, feel free to cut in whenever. Okay. So it started uh, like there weren't even any methodologies until 1970 or so. This guy came up with Waterfall, and he knew it was a bad idea at the start. Since then, it has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. Okay, what is it? it? Um, So yeah, Waterfall... It starts with someone, some client from on high saying, this is what I need. I need you to make me a software that keeps all of my banking branches in sync talking to each other. And thought we were using hot tubs. Correct. We're using hot tubs. So it starts with, um, so somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I want a hot tub or your, your hot tub making department. And uh, the first step you do is you and analyze the requirements for their hot tub and you get, you know, get everything they need. You talk to the people in the department and what they need for their hot tub and uh, go out and look at other hot tubs that have been made, that kind of thing. Uh, Maybe you even like mock up a scale model of a hot tub. Okay. And then you pass that on. You take all of this knowledge and you pass it on to another person who writes like an official specification that says like the hot tub will be 18 by 18 feet and have two inch wide nozzles to spit out water and will always be exactly 23.7 degrees Celsius hot. That's really hot for a hot tub actually. (laughs) Um, Which isn't awful for a hot tub, but if you're actually looking at this like code, it would be stuff like the cursor must blink every 2.5 seconds. And that's the kind of stuff that doesn't need to be in a legal document. Yeah. Usually. Um, 
once you have the formal specification, the people who set up that formal specification are done now, and they pass all this stuff onto design. And design will say, okay, we know the the hot tub is going to have a T-Rex right here, and the water park is going to go there, um, and it's still going to be 18 feet wide, but we are the kind of people who have made a lot of hot tubs before, so we know how to arrange the T-Rex in the water park. Um, and they turn the the formal specification into um, this thing, this design document, um, which is a bunch of data sheets that say how it all gets structured, and then they hand it on to other coders who are there for implementation. Implementation, I said that strangely. Um, and even if you can't find a T-Rex anywhere because they're extinct, you need to implement this design document. Right. Because everything is just coming from on high and coming down the waterfall to you. So whatever, I guess we get as close as we can and program it and send it to testing. And then testing will test it and tell us that, oh, you missed this specific part of the formal specification. Comes back up to implementation and keeps going down until you deploy it. Okay. And that's the waterfall method. You you clear? That makes sense to me, yeah. All right. But you also can see why that's generally not a great idea. Yeah, it seems like it takes a really long time and is pretty tedious. Uh, Yeah, basically. Um, Then there was Scrum, which uh, is from 1995 is when it was formalized. And that's um, still in use today. And it's a lot more close development cycles where you make the stuff and then you get feedback and you make the stuff and you get feedback. Um, There are a lot of buzzwords and fancy terms that we're not going to refer to here, but it's much more like build a bit of the hot tub and then go and say, hey, is this cool? Do you want the hot tub to look like this? And they say, yep, that's what I want. And then you build a little bit more of the hot tub. And they say, actually, I want to drink in this hot tub. And you're like, okay, I can make it so you can drink in this hot tub by adding can koozies all over. Mm -hmm. It's better, generally. It's not the best. We're still getting there. Then there's extreme programming. The the document that I read didn't really describe this at all. (laughs) It's just a very fun name. And... um. Basically, you take all of the things that are good to do in coding, like test your code, and you make it so you always do it. Take it to the extreme. How do you test more than... How do you always test? Don't you already always test? Shouldn't you at least? Um, And testing actually might be one of the things. Some of the things from extreme programming have propagated out into a lot of other systems by now. Okay. But... Mostly, no one uses extreme programming anymore. Gotcha. Uh, Then there's Agile, which was founded uh, when a bunch of developers got together and created the Agile Manifesto. Um, And everyone can agree that things that were founded by Manifesto are objectively better. (laughs) Um, Basically, it's just that it's not a series of steps the way that Waterfall was or even Scrum. It's just kind of, hey, this is... How we like to work. Right. Do you, do you have any questions? Uh, yeah. So, like, if if I'm working in an agile environment, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. and I am asked to make a suede bathtub. Okay. You say, I want a suede bathtub, and I take the materials that I have, which is currently two armchairs, and push them together. And say, is this what you want? Uh, yeah. Okay. So... The idea is you're valuing things like working with people over, like, specifically what tools we're using for them. So. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. 
the idea is a little more perhaps you say you want a suede bathtub and you come to me and I'm like, well, I got these two chairs here and you want a suede bathtub and I don't really know exactly what to do to make this work, but let's smash these chairs together and see what happens. And then I collaborate with you, which is another one of their tenants. Um, and you're like, well, yeah, that's pretty good. Or you say, actually, no, I wanted it to have five more cup holders. And I say, well, okay, I'll see what I can do. And then I drill a hole in the chairs. And now we've got a suede bathtub with cup holders. Gotcha. All right. Steven, it sounds like you have uh, some methodologies of your own um, that you need to modify to respond to your situations in an agile manner. Um, I, I guess... <laughs> Uh, so right now it's game day at Madison. There's a football game going on, or there was a few hours ago or something, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, let me just say that I'm going to give you some statistics that I've noticed, and these aren't like a- any actual numbers. It's just what I've seen, just what I've observed. Okay. Um, on a normal day, there's a 30 to 70 ratio of people wearing Badger gear to people not wearing Badger gear. Makes sense. On game days, it's about 90 to 10. (laughs) And 95 to 5 if you are outside. Well, because then there are also people walking around campus who just came to Madison to see the game. Yes. And another thing I've noticed, uh, the amount of shirtless people at any given time at Madison is less than 1%. Joggers, mostly. Okay. During game days, it's like, I don't know, a quarter. (laughs) It seems like a quarter. It's probably not that big, but, like, at yeah. least 10%. It's a lot more. It's a lot more. Do they have, like, things written? Do they have a letter on their chest or something? Nope. Mostly, uh, most of the time, it's, uh, you wear the the stripy overalls that I'm going to put a link okay, for in yeah. the show notes, and you just don't wear a shirt underneath that. All right. Which cannot be comfortable, but whatever. Yeah, and actually, surprisingly quiet. <laughs> so as far as productivity it's really nice because as long as you don't go outside you can just sit around because no one's going to be bothering you they're all going to be watching the game uh mm-hmm. having a little party somewhere else though not in the dorm most of the time yeah if you're right by the game you might as well go yeah even closer and um and yeah so as long as you're not near a tv you can get a lot of stuff done except for a few exceptions and uh, last week, first game day of the season. Anyway, uh, there was a band of, uh, they looked like freshman guys wearing Badger gear, of course. And they went through all the dorms leading up to the um, the start of the game. They marched through all the doors and all the floors, which is really impressive, like, as far as stamina yeah. goes. And shouting, fuck Utah. Which, who, that's who we were playing that day. Okay. Fuck Utah, fuck Utah. And then if you had your door open, they would, like, uh, step in for a second and say, hey, fuck Utah, and <laughs> and leave. And everyone in that line would do that. And they would go through the entire, all the dorms and all the floors on that dorm. And it was really impressive. And they didn't get, like, almost immediately kicked out? No. Why? Why would they? They're only there for 30 seconds. Disturbance. Or something. No, it wasn't disturbing anyone, honestly. We were all very entertained by it. Oh, yeah, I understand that. But also, security, maybe it, it's just at Milwaukee. Security and the housing employees are... 
Oh yeah. Um, they're the policies are much more lenient around here. Um, mm-hmm. you do have res- a responsibility to your guests, but you don't need to claim them as your guests. You can just let them okay. in. Okay. There are key card scanners, so you can't come in unless someone lets you in. But you do have. But it's not hard to get someone to do that because people come in and out of the dorms all the time. So you don't have anyone like monitoring you as you come in. It's just a little RFID thing. Yep. There's a front desk, but they don't pay any attention. Also, there's several entrances. All they needed was one person from Salary and one person from Cole and one person from Phillips or whatever. Yeah. To let them in, and then they can just go marching around the dorms saying "fuck Utah." <laughs> It was just really funny, actually. Yeah, and it didn't like didn't take you out of your flow state or whatever because it was a yeah it five was just, second diversion. Yeah, it was just hey, that's interesting. <laughs> All right. You well, obviously you can hear him coming up the stairwell and like stuff like that, but it was mostly just entertaining. That was uh, before classes started. Actually, the mm-hmm. first game. And something else that's been happening before classes started, that happened before classes started, uh, was a campaign by Mentos called Sam Has Mentos. Good for him, I guess. So here's what happened. So there's this dude named Sam who attends... He had Mentos? Yeah, he had Mentos and he attended UW-Madison. He had 43,000 packs of Mentos. That's a lot. Like, I heard the number before when I was looking it up to see... But that's a lot of Mentos. Yeah, that's a pack, uh, uh, 43,000 packs of Mentos gum, not just individual Mentos. 43,000 packs of Mentos gum. And that's one for, about one for every undergrad, give or take a few hundred. Okay. And Mentos challenged him to give away 43,000 packs of Mentos gum before the first day of class. And if he could do it, they would pay for his tuition and a free DJ Khaled concert for the campus. How did he arrange that? Like, how did that start? I I guess there was a... Mentos sent out a big thing to all the students saying, uh, you want to be the Mentos ambassador? Mm. And not really saying what that entailed. Apparently, it's giving away 43,000 packs of Mentos and having your face everywhere. Buses, posters, everything. So, how how does one go about giving away 43,000 packs of Mentos, you might ask? Sports. Yeah. He went to the biggest events every day and just gave away gum. And, yeah. And what do you think people did when they found out he was doing something like that? Mobbed him. Yeah. But more than that, they went back to their dorms. They grabbed a drawstring bag, went back, <laughs> filled it up. And brought it back to their dorm and did that probably multiple times. Yeah. So my question is, Zach, how is Mentos going to make money off of this? They have Advertising. To... Yep. But they have to pay for 43,000 packs of gum. They have to pay for Sam's tuition and they have to pay for a DJ Khaled concert. And that's not even counting advertising. Okay, but it's natural advertising, which is hard to quantify. Because now we're talking about it. Mentos did not give us anything, unless they gave you a free pack of gum. They did several pa- packs of gum, but so you got this isn't some, why we're some talking of Sam's about Mentos. I did. I definitely did. I have a shelf full of them. <laughs> but but here's the thing, Zach. I will not need Mentos for the rest of the semester. I will not need gum. I don't chew that much gum in general. But even if I did, if I chewed a piece a day, I would not finish for a year. <laughs> 
But there are other undergrad students who didn't get. Clearly, if you have that much gum, there are people who have no gum and people who got one. Yeah. And I don't know. I just it's a it's a lot of money that Mentos is spending on the hope that I will continue to buy Mentos gum, which I just got a bunch of free stuff and I don't chew that much gum. So I'm not going to buy gum once I finish my stash. But also at some point, it's just brand recognition. Like you don't there aren't Pepsi ads to get you introduced to the idea of Pepsi. Yes. It's to make you thirsty and make you want a Pepsi. And the next time you are able to get a Pepsi, you go grab it because you saw that ad the one time. So I think now, like, I'm thinking of Mentos. When there's a DJ Khaled concert attached to something, it gets news. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe Mentos will come out on top of this. And I hope they do because I would like a similar deal next year. (laughs) But um, there was just so much gum. He had these uh, during the first game uh, last week. He had a pickup truck bed full of Mentos gums. (laughs) So we're going to move into the book club section of the podcast. Uh, We're reading uh, Neil Stevenson's Ream D up to page 906 or the end of day 20. If you aren't caught up with us, then we'll see you again in two weeks. You can definitely reach out to us and tell us what you thought of the podcast. Give us... Some thoughts on almond milk or Swedes or suede. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at the puns guy, and I am at not Stephen Barry. And everything we talked about is uh, linked in the show notes. Also, listeners, before you go, we are looking for a new book to have, do the next book club because we are almost done with Reemdy. In fact, next episode will be our last book club for Reemdy. So. Our current candidates are... The Baron in the Trees. And... How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. So, uh, if you have any input either way on those, or you would like to suggest a book of your own, please do so on Twitter, or in the comments on iTunes. We read them. We read all of them. We're going to start at the very beginning. Uh, Chapter Day 19... Starts with Olivia sorting through her emails. Yes. And email bankruptcy, which I thought was a great term. Uh, so how are your emails, Stephen? Uh, I went through them this morning, and I, I since classes started, I've been getting at least 50 a day. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to keep trying to be on top of them, uh, delete them as I need to, reply to them as I need to. Wait, um, 50 a day? Yeah, so there's this thing called uh, Piazza or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Piazza, and it's a message board for your classes, and it sends you email updates. When Oh, God. Yeah, so I need to figure out the settings on that one to turn that off because I don't want to know what problems you're having with the homework. I'm, I'm going to try to set it to only when the instructor, uh, instructor posts mm-hmm. or if there's... I'm not sure what the settings are, if I can do that, or if I could, like, if there's a certain number of replies, then notify me. But if it's not, basically, I want this thing to figure out if it's relevant to me or not, which it definitely cannot do because it's, yeah, it's a message board, but whatever. So I get a lot of those emails. I get a lot of emails just about school in general from UW Housing, from all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I've been trying to stay on top of that. I've been doing a pretty good job right now. I have two new emails and six total. All right. Good job. Because a while ago we were talking and it sounded much more like you needed to declare email bankruptcy. I think that was back (laughs) closer to April. Yeah. I just dislike email so much. It is my least favorite form of communication. It's good for sending or receiving chunks of information. Yes. It's just, I don't know. I, there's not a better system for that kind of stuff, but it. Uh, I'm probably also signed up for far too many mailing lists, you know? Yeah, me too. How's your inbox looking, Zach? I currently have four new emails from all from today, like pretty much I think since we started recording. Yeah. On my personal account, and I think two old ones, or, you know, a couple days old on my school account just because I need to do something with them and haven't had a chance to sit down. I was at a concert yesterday, so I couldn't do my usual nightly email processing. Mm. Okay. Uh, Richard assigned Mission Impossible nicknames for the terrorists. I thought that was really (laughs) funny. Yeah. And I was wondering if you had a similar thing where you just noticed a archetype with real people no i don't think so yeah i couldn't think of one either and i was hoping you would sometimes when i meet like when i came to college last year there were people who were the people like liam or the people like steven yeah uh archetypes from your own life are easier than characters from movies and such yeah um also in that same chunk uh he was talking about how this would have been the best vacation he ever had if it didn't include terrorism. <laughs> yeah. And he had that idea for a uh, service that kidnapped rich people and forced them to go on vacation. How would you feel about that? Like, uh, probably you'd want to have them set up an auto email reply thing for you saying, hey, yeah, I've been I abducted, so I won't respond. incredibly for... uncomfortable with that, Zach. I, not even the kidnapping part. It's the, it, it is what stops people from going on vaca- a real vacation, quote-unquote, from the book because I just would feel uncomfortable leaving no way to contact me, you know? Yeah. But I think also the point that he's making is that at, at this stage with Richard, there's nothing that's so pressing that he needs to respond to it in two days. Yeah, and I that probably is true for him, but it won't... If he were to go on vacation, he would not feel like that was the case, which is... Correct. Yeah, so in theory, your service has to make money, right? Yeah. And to make money, you have to have someone to pay you. And if no one's going to pay you because they don't want to do it, (laughs) I'm not sure how feasible it is. I think it's just the step up from, like, there are Big Apple tours that go somewhere as this big group it's effectively a cruise but you're never on a ship but everything's all pre-planned out for you and you get to see Kazumel and whatever it's the step up from that where you don't even decide the day (laughs) you just pay someone and they say okay in the next two months you're going on vacation and we're gonna hike you around this way and you're gonna do this and that (laughs) and we'll have a contact number so if a family member is dying or something Okay, I guess that I guess that would work. But barring that, no one can yeah. actually get in touch with you. Interesting. All right. I still feel weird about it. I guess <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. And 
I think I'd be down for it if I didn't, you know, have homework due every day. Yeah. If I actually had nothing, if I actually could spare, you know, a few days to go on vacation, Mm -hmm. that'd be cool. Yeah. So they they go through and um, Zula, it starts with her being worried about the environment while in this camp of terrorists. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I thought that was funny. A a big part of this book has been the weird juxtapositions that happen in these very stressful moments. Like Richard just constantly wants to make these snide comments Mm -hmm. once he's abducted. But I mean, another thing is that going back to what we said before, Richard is trying to is thinking about a business venture while being kidnapped by terrorists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, Neil Stevenson kind of started it like that i think the first chapter or two said he's the kind of person who would get dropped off in a country where he didn't speak the language and be running a business in the next month yeah or whatever the whatever the yeah actual quote was but yeah i remember something like that um and then uh, she she breaks out and goes into the schloss and then she she gets the stuff um um she kills alir and the other one is killed by a mountain lion um and so it it really brings into into attention the like stark cultural contrasts uh like here we've got the cia and the fbi in america and canada just has cougars to combat (laughs) terrorism Uh, yeah uh use the tools at your disposal (laughs) i guess um and then chet shows up and he's going to investigate and in his his internal dialogue richard is always called dodge why oh um wasn't that discussed a few chapters ago it was that something to do with a red dodge pickup truck i forget what the actual story was wait really yeah don't you remember that they did explain it i always thought or i not always thought but i thought it was because he dodged the draft uh maybe Oh, no. And also, uh, they also addressed that because it was the story was about the Dodge pickup, which I don't remember the actual story about. Oh, OK. Yeah, but I do he, remember now. And then he said, I don't he doesn't like to use that nickname around his his brother because he judges him for dodging the draft. Yeah. OK, that's what it was. But he also evaded police forces going across the border that way. So a lot of dodging in his life, yes. I suppose. Then we switch from Chet over to Seamus, the military man. Mm-hmm. And he throws in a line about like, oh, man, I hope my credit card hasn't been canceled, which made me realize again that up until now, everyone's just had whatever money. Like, is it convenient for the plot? Then he has enough money to do this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes sometimes. Basically, from the beginning, when the Russians had all of the money and then... Songor had all of the money, and then Marlin had all of the money. Richard has always had a lot of money. Uh-huh. Uh, Jones um, steals credit cards. Yeah, and isn't super concerned about incurring a lot of debt because he... It's not his credit cards. Yeah. <laughs> also, he's planning to die soon, so... Yep. Richard is thinking about how, like, he literally cannot people please to save his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's usually a phrase, like, oh, I couldn't do this thing to save my life, but he literally cannot do all of the little corporate whatever to save his life yeah uh, and then as they walked go ahead into canada mm-hmm. there's a, a paragraph i'm actually going to grab my kindle 
on page 898, if you're following along. They crossed into the United States, a fact discernible only by a moss-covered boundary monument that one of the jihadists nearly tripped over. What's interesting about the division between the U.S. and Canada? There's a giant gash in the trees about, like, five yards wide through the entire border. Oh, oh, so they, when you are you saying like they knocked down the, those trees and he tripped over the moss covered? There, there's no trees. There's a, a run of no trees on the entire U.S. Canada border. Oh, okay. So what did he trip over is what you're wondering? Yeah, it's called the no touching zone, I think. Interesting. But, I mean, could it, is, he just said uh, moss covered monuments, right? It could be a rock. With a plaque uh, on No, it. they look like here. I'm going to send you an image. They look like that, but they look like that in the middle of a lot of not trees. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So it would be a little more obvious than a little stone marker, I suppose. Neil Stevenson writes so factually accurate that it's jarring when there's some little thing that's off. <laughs> Speaking of which, when I was looking this up, I tried to find where the border might be um, to see if maybe it like it, it didn't have the same line through it for whatever reason. Elphinstone is basically directly above Seattle and nowhere near Idaho in, oh. in real Canada. Interesting. Yeah. It, it's convenient for the plot, so whatever. Most yeah. people don't care, but... <laughs> Us here at Worrying Bugs, we'll pick you apart like, like no others. I, I was just really entertained by Richard's plan to escape... And mourn his friend before the terrorists got to his friend's uh, cabin or whatever it was. Brother. But uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, brother. Um, because his plan was, I'm going to escape and warn my brother. <laughs> and there was nothing and else. And later on, he developed the plan a little more to, I'm going to escape, go down the hill, and warn my brother. Yep. And then his his air quotes plan was foiled by the zip ties so far so he's going to have to think of another plan or develop his plan even further which and he I, doesn't know that there are already agents there who are going to be warning his brother and he doesn't know that Zula's free yep and Zula doesn't know that he's there and planning these things yep. so i've determined that this book could also be called dramatic irony the book <laughs> And my last comment on that was Zula is just much better at plans. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also that that style of thinking, thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it without any more thought than that is mm-hmm. has got to be – it's got to be really interesting in a business environment like – and it probably allowed him to make something like Reem D, which is, I mean, not Reem D, uh, T-Rain. Yeah. Because he, he goes, oh, I want to make a video game that does this. And yeah. then instead of instantly thinking, well, crap, how am I going to do that? He goes, all right, let's get started. I know a dude. He, yeah. he does some economic stuff. And that probably allows him to do all sorts of business ventures like he was saying earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. He, he just looks at a situation and says, oh, what could be improved here? Let's do that without a thought of how are we going to do that until it's actually necessary to think that way. And then the moment that he's bound, 
He's just like, okay, whatever. I guess I'll sleep. Yeah. He's not going to try to pursue his plan anymore. It's just, well, I, I guess that's foiled. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's another comment on knowing your own limitations being a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. So in two weeks, we'll be back to uh, finish up this, give some broad overall reviews. So if you want to let us know what you thought of the whole book as a whole, maybe you already read it and you've been holding off on your comments until we're done, uh, be sure to tweet at us uh, and let us know what you think of the book and what you think of the book club so far. Again, we are at on Twitter at NotStevenBerry. And I'm at the puns guy. We'll be in your ears in two weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.